and welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. So Julia, you and I, there's one thing I know about us, <laughs> and that's that we both work at museums. That, that is the one thing you know That's the us. only thing yep. I know about us. I don't know anything about your preferences. I don't know anything uh. about your life. Um, <laughs> but, um, so I have a series of favorite museums as I'm sure you do oh, as yeah. well. And, um, I have a lot of favorite museums across New York state and the United States, but one of my f- absolute favorites that I will fangirl over from beginning to end day to night, all day, every day is the Corning Museum of Glass. Oh, have you heard of it? I have been to the Corning Museum yes. of Glass. Yes. It is a, first of all, a fabulous museum worthy yes. of all the accolades. And it's so much more exciting than it sounds, people. Yes, absolutely. The first time I went there, I was like, really? The Corning Museum of Glass? glass. Really just glass? You're like, ugh. Boring. But no, it is the science, the Look art. This piece of glass. Look at this piece of glass. Yeah. Look at this piece of glass. Exactly. No. It's the science, the art, and the history of glass. And it is so beautifully arranged. Mm-hmm. And their gift shop is fabulous. It's very large. It is very big. And their um, contemporary art galleries are wonderful. And their historic galleries are incredible. I just, I can't say enough. So I decided because uh, the Corning Museum of Glass makes glass seem fascinating. Yes. Oh, a couple oh. things about the Corning Museum of Glass. So mm-hmm. uh, one, y- teens and kids get in for free all day, every day. Yeah. Because they are actually... Um, sponsored by Corningware, which is the the Corning company. Yes. So they have a corporate sponsor and so they have uh they are not truly a nonprofit as far as I know. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that. But they unlike a lot of museums, they do have more money than normal at their disposal Sweet. to do exhibits and to, you know, bring outside mm-hmm. exhibits in and to create their own and that kind of thing. Full disclosure, I have a friend, Christy, who works there. Mm, she works yeah. in the registration. Shout out. Yeah, shout out to Christy. She's a great girl. Um, and uh, so teens and kids get in for free. They also do uh, daily, like uh, every hour on the hour, some like insane amount of frequency, um, hot glass shows. Yeah, hell where yeah. Where you can watch artisans make glass from like beginning to end and mm-hmm. they do like the glass blowing and they talk about it and it's very hot and they have cameras like inside yes. the fire ovens yes Fi- the kilns, kilns. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. aka uh-huh. the fire ovens <laughs> and um you can also make your own glass like you can design a piece of glass and they'll make it for you and then you can buy it you have to you have to sign up for those Yo, you have to sign up for those you can't just walk in and do that that's like a sign up thing mm-hmm. um so you really learn a lot about glass and you get like really excited. Oh, and their cafeteria is great. <laughs> they have really good food. So I highly recommend Corning, New York. It's also a cute town and they have a Corning Ware outlet in the town, Market Square. So you can get yourself some nice Corning Ware. Um, so anyway, I'm going to talk a little bit about glass today and uh, I hope you like it. So my topic is called Heart of Glass. <laughs> So to start out, um, just an FYI, uh, we were talking about my my last topic. Well, not the the topic before last was about the Curiosity rover and about Mars. I recently learned. Do you remember? <laughs> it was so long ago. Um, I learned recently that um, the camera and the lenses and all of the optics on the Curiosity rover are actually made from made by Optimax, which is a Rochester company. Oh, isn't that cool? Well, Rochester, they tried to rebrand in the 90s as like the optic city yes. because of Bosch and Lom mm-hmm. and images with Xerox and all of that. Yeah, and Optimax, with, which with is Kodak. a big company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So I think they're still like trying to do that. Yeah. I think that's still a thing. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of optics companies in the cool. area. And so they got the NASA bid. So that's cool. So glass. So, um, and I have never heard of this, but you may have heard that glass is, heard it said that glass is a liquid which has cooled but not crystallized and it just flows fantastically slowly, just never hardens. Um, That's scary to think about. Isn't that scary to think about? As I drink a liquid from one of them. (laughs) I know, exactly. Um, So, the, one of the, um, the supports of this assertion is that they point to old church windows where the glass is thicker at the bottom of the pane. Oh, yeah. You could see that. Yeah. And even in like old houses in America exactly. too. 
Um, in fact, that's because um, the reason for this is that the that medieval glazers sometimes couldn't cast perfectly uniform sheets of glass because we didn't have the technology mm-hmm. yet. So when that happened, they preferred to stand the glass in the window with the thick edge at the bottom for obvious reasons. Right. So that's why it was actually oh, purposeful. Wow. It wasn't just because the glass is actually still liquid. Um, glass is what's called an amorphous solid. Um, so what that means is that molten glass solidifies so quickly that its molecules don't have time to settle into a regular crystalline lattice. Oh. So the the molecules of glass are actually pretty random, um, which makes it Whoa. clear, which is really strange to think about. Uh, this is because glass contains small amounts of sodium carbonate and lime, which is calcium oxide. And that interferes with the structure of the silica, which is silicone dioxide, um, and those atoms as they cool. And without these additions, the silica would cool more slowly, and that would form chemically neat and regular, but much less useful quartz. Mm. So um, it's it's glass's chaotic structure that makes it smooth and transparent, which makes glass really cool. You don't think of glass as being a chaotic structure. No, you don't. Isn't because that, it's we use it for like chemistry labs. Exactly. But it actually has a deep down, it has a chaotic structure. Whoa. So again, going back to the Corning Museum of Glass. When you first come to the Corning Museum of Glass, they encourage you to go to the video. It is an award-winning video in a small <laughs> theater. And the first time I went... I went with a, my best friend in high school and we went to it and you're, you're hanging out in there and then the video starts. It gets dark like a movie theater and suddenly they play Mozart's Rex and then you hear like the, the music like pounds into it and then all of you see is like molten glass, molten glass, molten glass and it's like Rex and it's, in, it's intense <gasps> and then you hear a voiceover go glass the most important substance in the whole world. It's really... Then you are wrapped at that you point. You are wrapped with attention. So they're like... So they talk about glass. Glass. Glass is incredible. This is the structure of glass. Molecules. Molecules. Lauren this is, is doing a lot of elaborate hand motions I am. Right now, practically I know you dancing. all can't. Um, but you can only imagine. I know. We'll do a video <laughs> at some point. But then... So it's like glass, glass, glass. And then it's like quick edits. Glass, 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 glass. <laughs> And then they're like, glass, come see the glass. And then the screen just goes up. It like the screen goes up and behind it is a window. And (laughs) through that window, you see the entirety of the Corning Glass Museum. The first time I saw this, I laughed my ass off. (laughs) It was so epic and so funny and so insane that every time I went there with a new person, I was like, no, we have to watch the video first. (laughs) You have to watch the video first. Josh and I must not have watched the video. Oh, the video this, is so I don't good. remember this. They used to like they at the at when you'd buy your tickets, mm-hmm. they used to say, No, you have to see the video first. And I think they've kind of like not encouraged that as much yeah. anymore because the theater is now very small in mm. regards to the rest of the museum, mm-hmm. so you can't really pack it full of people. But I highly recommend it because it is hysterical. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So anyway, glass is an interesting substance. Also, mm. whenever you go to a museum watch the orientation video yeah it's there for a reason yeah it's there for a reason learn about what like get an intro get like get your mindset into what you're going to learn about that's always helpful you don't have to talk to anyone you don't have to ask any questions no they made it for you yeah take that five to ten minutes and learn a little bit more and you will get a context by which you can learn you'll get more information as you're reading the wall text as you're working through a museum absolutely absolutely thank you julia for that so Back to glass. Um, so glass's chaotic structure makes it smooth and transparent. Um, before people learned to manufacture glass, they found it in nature. Yeah. When lightning strikes sand, it sometimes forms glass tubes. Those are called fulgurites. I learned this from Sweet Home, Alabama. Oh, I saw that. I don't remember that movie. part. Um, yeah, it's a. It's actually kind of a major plot point. Is it really? Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. Well, you're mm-hmm. more of a rom- rom-com oh, I love fan a rom-com. than I am. I know. Oh, man. I mean, <sighs> I wish they made more. <laughs> no judgment here. <sighs> so it's also known as... <laughs> anyway, lightning. Yeah, lightning. Hitting glass. It's lightning striking sand can make glass. Yes. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. It's called fulgurites, but it's also known as petrified lightning. Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that a, cool? That's such a metal name. I know. It's very metal. It is very metal. So the first glass known to Stone Age people, um, which was used for making weapons and decorative objects, was obsidian, yes. as you know. 
which is black volcanic glass. Obsidian was used for production of knives, arrowheads, jewelry, and money. And the earliest known man-made glass dates back to about 3500 BC with finds in Egypt and Eastern Mesopotamia. Wow. I had a rocks and minerals collection growing up. Oh, cool. Whenever we would go to the Carnegie Museum of Natural History, Mm -hmm. uh, we would go to the museum and then I would be allowed to get a new gemstone That's from cool. the gift shop. It was awesome. I had some snowflake obsidian, which oh, I'm picturing those are in cool. my head right now. Very cool. Um, I had this amazing collection and I had them in specific little uh, baggies. Oh yeah. And I would label what they were. Very smart. Um, and then roundabouts, when my brothers were in elementary school, Uh-oh. they just tore that collection <gasps> apart. I don't know if they threw them at each other in the yard or if they oh. sold them for for money at school or traded them or whatever. That's heartbreaking. But I came back <laughs> I came back from my first year of college and my rocks and minerals collection had been decimated. Hey, I'm so sorry, It was Rachel. really sad. I have really great memories of collecting all those things and where you know I got each one of them and all that cool stuff. You should do so, that again. Yeah, should do that again. We, um, Josh and I went to Portland earlier this year and we found a really cool like oddity shop um, mm-hmm. and they had all these... Um, uh, they had great rocks and minerals collections. Uh-huh. They had like little bird skulls and, you oh, know, all cool. those kind yeah. of things that you would find in like a, you know, that hipsters would, mm-hmm. would buy to decorate their apartments. Um, and I got a really cool like peacock ore while I was there. Nice. So I was like, this makes me think of my collection that I had grown up. And now you have a whole apartment that you can decorate with your cool rocks and minerals. Definitely. Yeah. Lapidolite is one of my favorites. Oh man. That I don't know is it. like light pink and lavender <gasps> and sparkly. Oh my God. All right. You're going to have to show me Sorry a picture of that later. No, digress. no, please. Geology but, yeah. is cool. Obsidian. Obsidian. Is a natural glass. Yes, it is a natural Very glass. Very cool. Super cool. So um, so the oldest fragments of glass vases were found in Mesopotamia in the 16th century BC, and they represented the evidence of the origins of the hollow glass industry, which is like mm. making glassware and that kind of thing, where yeah. you could use it as a vessel. Were they blowing it then? No, they were not blowing it Ooh. then. Um, besides Mesopotamia, <laughs> it was more like molding. They're molding yeah, it okay. into like a vessel. Blown glass wasn't until the first century. Okay. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, beside Mesopotamia, the hollow glass production was also evolving at the, sa- at the same time in Egypt, in Mycenae, which was Greece, China, and North Tyrol. Uh, the first glass making manual from the library of the Assyrian king Ashurbanipal dates back to about 650 BC. Isn't that wow. cool? Um, so the Roman historian Pliny attributes the origin of glassmaking to Phoenician sailors. He recounted how they landed on a beach near Ptolemaeus in modern day Israel. They propped a cooking pot on some blocks of natron, which was a naturally occurring alkali substance they were carrying as cargo and made a fire over which to cook a meal. Uh, to their surprise, the beach sand beneath the fire melted and ran <sighs> into a liquid stream that later cooled and hardened to glass. Um, however, though this is an interesting explanation, the scenario is not possible since a cooking fire cannot reach the melting temperature of glass, which is actually 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Whoa. Yeah, it's very, very hot. Yeah, because, yeah, with that anecdote, you would think that people would just be Yeah, they would have found glass. Sand and... All over the place. With uh, lighters. <laughs> yeah, you know, ancient lighters. I mean, <laughs> no, but like nowadays, if, yeah, this, yeah. if this was a real thing, yeah, if people that was would that just low be like point. at the beach like... Yeah. You want to see a cool trick? Yeah. <laughs> I can make glass. I'm a god. <laughs> Maybe. Some <laughs> drunk guy. Right? Um, so the story most likely involved Ptolemaeus anyway, because its beach sand was historically known to be heavily used for glass making. It just oh. had really good sand. Um, nice. Glass is also apparently known as liquid sand. I've never heard of it as that. Oh. But it is. It's like melted. It's essentially a translation sand. being like that or something. Exactly. Yeah. So... Um, Eventually, someone developed glass as a unique substance. So a workshop would melt together the ingredients for glass and cool them to make ingots or raw chunks of usable Ooh, glass. Yes. I didn't know they did that with glass. I have only heard ingots with metal. Yeah, exactly. So they did that because of the metalworking, because metalworking is older than glassmaking. Um, glassmakers knew how to color the ingots by mixing metallic oxides into the ingredients. And I popular colors for glass included royal blue and turquoise blue, which is very beautiful. Um, which are colored by the addition of cobalt oxide and copper oxide, respectively, um, which are still used today. Mm. Glassmakers were trying to imitate semi-precious stones, such as lapis lazuli and turquoise, which were valued uh, by early cultures. Yeah. 
So the cooled ingots would be shipped to completely separate workshops, sometimes very far away, where the chunks would be remelted and worked into different forms. So the second workshop would not have to heat its furnace to as high a temperature as the original furnace, mm-hmm. because less heat is required to remelt glass oh. after it has already been formed from its raw powdery materials yeah so you initially like heat it to like 2800 degrees fahrenheit and then once it becomes glass it doesn't require as high of a heat to make it liquid again wow so once a workshop remelted its ingots of glass the glass workers were limited to the technology of the day so workers would cast vessels and beads into molds they would fuse small pieces of glass together and then what's called slump the mass into or over a mold so like you would either pour it into a mold like a like a bowl mm-hmm. and like mold it so that it was like bowl shaped or you could pour it over a mold so you could like pour it oh, over okay. a yeah. piece like, uh, to shape it and then pull the mold out um, you could also grind and polish the glass with stones or sand and water or make hollow vessels by core forming so that's like they would make a, a core out of clay mm-hmm. and they would fire it so that the clay became hard and then they would pour molten gl- glass over it kind of like cake pop oh. style they would like dip it in <laughs> <laughs> nice. I wrote cake That's pop style. That's probably what the um the manual says. Yes, it says cake pop and these style. Or like cake, cake pop. pop. Well, mm, I guess that makes sense. Um, <laughs> so they would dip it in, and then they would um they would use a like a scooping tool to like dig out the clay from yeah, the inside, really and then cool. you would have a, a vessel. Um, so before the first century BC, ninety five percent of all vessels were made by core forming. Mm. Um, so in the beginning, glass making was slow and it was costly. It was a luxury item and few people could afford it. So the discovery of a new technique of glass blowing around the end of the first century was a revolutionary event in the history of glassmaking. This invention was attributed to Syrian craftsmen. The glass blowing made glass production easier, faster, and cheaper, and glass for the first time became available to ordinary citizens. The tools and techniques of glass blowing have changed very little over the centuries, which is very mm. cool. So you'll see if you go to the Corning Museum of Glass again. This is we are not sponsored. This no. is not sponsored content. While I would love to work at the Corning Museum of Glass, someone please contact me. I have a updated CV. You live so far away from I know me. I do it. It's like two hours away from here. It's ridiculous. But it's a beautiful museum. It's so good. Oh my gosh, I'm so impressed by it. <laughs> anyway, this is not an ad. No, this, this is, is not just an ad. we just like the product. We just they have a great museum. Um when you watch them doing the glass blowing, it's actually like a very long metal pipe and they'll have the, like the the glob of glass. Mm-hmm. I you always think of it as when you watch them doing it, you're like, "Oh, it's like um taffy. It's like taffy making." Yeah. Because the consistency of molten glass while much hotter than taffy <sighs> um is very taffy like. Yes. What they, they always do have is, to keep rolling it. Yes, too. they have to keep it moving or else it'll harden. So glass blowing, it's not like you would imagine like a bubble where you're like blowing it up and it like slowly blows up. What they do is they blow into the end just like like a quick puff mm-hmm. and then they hold their thumb over the end of it and the air travels slowly down the pipe and into the glass where it slowly inflates. And in fact, they have to do that every so often and keep it heated um, so that they don't blow too much air into it and then it like it can cause weaknesses in the glass right um also the the term for the opening of the kiln is called the glory hole which is actually the symbol i know you're making such a face this is true though i mean the the term glory hole has been (laughs) has been around for a lot longer than porn julia so glory hole jewel and also (laughs) sorry and in fact the 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 symbol like the uh the the symbol for the corning museum of glass is a glory hole the o in cmog is a glory hole glory hole um (laughs) sorry i sometimes i wonder if you pick a word that i'm gonna be uncomfortable with and then write your topic around i don't i do um (laughs) so okay quick about the ancient chinese So because the ancient Chinese preferred tea to wine, they weren't really wine drinkers, they had little use for glass, which tended to break when heated unevenly, like you would for making tea. Mm -hmm. Um, They devised a fine white ceramic ware made from white kaolin, which they vitrified, which means they made slightly glass-like with Mm. feldspar. Um, Westerners dubbed this porcelain because of its alleged resemblance to the shell of the cowrie, which is called porcelana, or little pig. I had no idea. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Wow. 
Um, an early ersatz Western version of porcelain, which is called uh, pot tendra or soft paste, was made with ground glass instead of feldspar. Mm. So there's fake porcelain, an English fake porcelain, um, which is soft paste, or there's like true Chinese porcelain. Wow. Um, actually, interestingly enough, for almost 500 years, from the end of the 14th century until the 19th century, no glass was made in China at all. At all. Not even a little bit. Wow. They had no need for it. Um, <laughs> now, though, it is the world's largest producer of glass, controlling 34% of the global market. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that interesting? Is it for, like, windows? Yeah, it's, like, windows and, like, just products. normal glassware yeah. and products and things like that, yeah. Wow. Isn't that cool? So they didn't make glass. They, they knew how to make it. They knew how to make it, they but just they were, were like, like, eh. What do I need it for? We got porcelain. Why would we need glass? Wow. Yeah, isn't that cool? So. Um, glass making, however, flourished in the Roman Empire. You've heard of Roman glass. Oh, sure. So who hasn't? We, yeah, exactly. So uh, Roman glass is very beautiful. We have a couple of pieces in the in the Rochester Museum and Science. Really, Center. it is the one object in our collection <laughs> that I that gives me so much stress and anxiety about handling. I have, I, I mean, I've been handling objects for a long time. Yeah, especially old, delicate objects. I'm pretty comfortable with it. Yeah, the Roman got glass. Soft I got those soft, soft hands, steady, sturdy oh, hands. Yeah. You're not breaking anything These or dropping hands. anything. Like rock biter in, <laughs> in never ending story. Oh, These man. hands. Oh, I cry every time. Oh, that and a tray you. Oh, our tax died in the swamp of sadness. It was just, I don't know what she's talking about. Anyway, so you've never seen never ending story. Uh, I probably did in like kindergarten oh my god okay so i went to catholic school sure from kindergarten through second grade and they would do like movie nights in the basement sure in the cafeteria of the catholic school Mm -hmm. and my dad took me to some of those and that's how i saw some of the early disney stuff like i saw like cinderella and snow white sure and we would bring a canister of french's potato sticks and we would eat them while we watched the movie you're blowing my mind right now i want a french's potato stick right now um and i feel like never ending story was one of those movies and i just was like i probably shouldn't be watching this it's disturbing for a young one yeah Yeah. like that like never ending story and labyrinth and dark crystal dark like, crystal I think dark. I was maybe too young to yeah. see those when I did and so instead of it being a great memory and a wonderful story to me it has turned into this like Horror. horrifying nightmare <laughs> hellscape from which I could not uh escape well you're not wrong because I think I saw <laughs> I saw never ending story at like the ripe old age of what eight or nine mm-hmm. something like that I mean it was made long before I was like old enough to mm-hmm. watch it so this was a later time for me but it is, it's like emotionally affecting. Like there are some dark yeah. themes and it's very sad. So all I remember is like the big dog dragon. Yeah. Thing. Um, what's the dog's name? He's got a name. He does It'll have come a name. To me. Uh, everybody's to me. just yelling it at us right now. They can't <laughs> the believe car. that I don't it's like, like this. this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, what, how did we get on the subject of this? Oh, two glass. hands. Roman glass. <laughs> yes. Two hands. So the Roman Roman glass is very beautiful. It's like a soft blue color and it has some iridescence to it. It's and really you have lovely. Some at the we Rochester have some Museum and Science Center. Because we have an archaeological collection, a yes. very large archaeological collection. Is and this, while is this glass on display or is it only? It is in not. Your it was on display for mm-hmm. our elements exhibit, but oh, no longer. Cool. It's not a big collection. We have mm-hmm. like one box of it. Still. It's beautiful. I don't have any of it. If you come by, I'll show you the oh, Roman glass. Awesome. Um Perks, I, perks of knowing people at other museums exactly sometimes they give you behind the scenes tours you get to see the stuff so roman glass making was a big deal they were the first ones to make um clear glass okay and cool. the reason being is because uh clear glass not colorless glass i should i should make okay. that distinction and apparently the reason being was so that they could see the color of their wine so they could <gasps> see where their wine is and their in their oh, roman of course glass the of romans course. did that right oh. So glass in Rome was one of the most important items of trade beyond the borders of the Roman Empire. It's one of the biggest things. So the Romans were the first ones to begin to use glass for architectural purposes. Cool. When clear glass was discovered in Alexandria around AD 100. So a a flourishing glass industry was developed in Europe at the end of the 13th century when the glass industry was established in Venice around Mm. the time of the Crusades. Yes. You've heard of Venetian glass. Yeah. So in 1291, equipment for glass making was transferred to the Venetian island Murano <gasps> in 12, and to reduce the risk of the setting fire to the city. Because <laughs> the city of Venice was, <laughs> while it was on water, it was also mostly made of wood it at that very time. very flammable. So they were like, ooh, That's you should get so these kilns funny. out of here. Um, 
you guys are going to yeah. work over there yeah. now. An, on an island surrounded by water. <laughs> so to this day, um, Murano is still like the place to get yeah. beautiful glass. Um, it was known as Cristallo, which is colorless glass. And that was invented by Angelo Bio- Barovier. Don't they also do the Millefiori? Yes, they do Millefiori over there, which is like the the many they call tiny it thousand flowers. Yes, and you'll see it a lot in um, in vases and also uh, paperweights. Mm, and yes. the, again, the Corning Museum of Glass has a beautiful collection of Millefiori, but it's they it's like many many different glass flowers mm-hmm. as a, a whole. It makes up a whole, um, and it looks like a little bit of a collage of many different colored glass flowers. It's beautiful. Um, so. Despite the efforts of the Venetian artisans who dominated the glass industry to keep the technology secret, it soon spread across Europe. So, um, again, the Venetian island of Murano is still the center of Venice's glassmaking industry. So it's kind of like in Charlie the Chocolate Factory when they sent someone in from Slugworth's factory yes. to find out how something worked. Julia, this is the second time I've made a Slugworth reference. Like someone has made a Slugworth reference in front of me. I did it in a meeting the other day. I did a meeting Friday morning. I swear to you. And now you're talking about Slugworth. It's like it's my everlasting gobstopper. Yes, the everlasting gobstopper where he takes them aside and he's like, whisper, whisper, whisper. Yeah. Yeah. I'd made that exact. Oh, oh man. Anyway. So um, moving quickly forward Sorry. in time in regards to glass. Uh, the invention of spectacles toward the end of the 13th century added at least 15 years to the academic and scientific careers of men and women whose work depended on reading. So if you think about it, like. If your eyesight, everyone's eyesight naturally deteriorates over course of time. It's so funny when you're in a room. Okay. So whenever I'm in a room with librarians and archivists, Mm -hmm. I want to say 90% of the people have glasses on. Oh, yeah. the 10% who don't have contacts in. Yeah. Like we are all going blind. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) I I am practically, I am probably legally blind at this point and I wear contact lenses. In fact, the other day, Steve, uh, we were going to bed. And I was taking my contacts out and I was talking to Steve at the time and I reached into my eyeball and plucked my contact lens out while I was talking to him. And the look on his face looked like I had <gasps> my eye, my head had cracked open and an alien burst forth. He was horrified. Because oh, he wears real glasses. Yeah, he wears real glasses. And the fact that I was like touching yeah. my eyeball and popping out my eyes. So I also wear glasses for like long distance stuff. Um, and Josh wears contacts mm-hmm. and the... Last week, I got drunk and I said, what if I put my eyeball on your eyeball? Could I get your contact lens? Did you get it? I ch- well, he didn't he really wouldn't let, let you. No, he wouldn't let you. I didn't think you would. <laughs> He'd be too grossed out by that. <laughs> That's so gross. We're gross people. <laughs> so yeah, so the invention of spectacles actually improved like it it allowed people to have a longer life of learning yeah because they could read what did they call did they call them spectacles i think so okay spectacles wow i'm sure it's derivative of something greek or latin interesting yeah so um also in germany and other northern european countries glass making became important by the late 1400s and early 1500s uh because during the 1500s it came uh became important in England because of George Ravenscroft. He was an English glassmaker and he invented lead glass in 1674, oh. which was a major breakthrough in the history of glass. Yes. So lead glass is what it is, what it is described as it's mm-hmm. what it says in the tin. It has a uh, lead oxide in it, which makes it easier to manipulate. Yes. Um, so that's why that's how it was able to be made into a lot of different products by this time. So, uh, also glass mirrors are said to have been used by Filippo Brunelleschi in his experiments to establish the laws of perspective, a discovery which had a huge impact on Renaissance painting. Uh, glass beakers and test tubes transformed ancient alchemy into the modern science of chemistry. And the microscope and the telescope, invented within a few years of each other at the end of the 16th century, opened up two new universes, the very distant and the very small. Let me tell you who invented the microscope. Please tell me. His name was Antoine van Leeuwenhoek. Van Leeuwenhoek. And he originally used it to view what he called animalcules, which were, um, you know, the actual microorganisms that he was seeing, but he Mm -hmm. called them animalcules. 
And I learned that because the science students in Ohio needed to learn that. And I worked on their tests for quite some time. Oh, look at you. See, so there's a lot of like fun facts that I've retained as a result of helping to QC these tests over the years. Yeah. Hey, wherever you can get the information. Yeah. There's no, there's no judgment here. That's great. So, um, by the 17th century, European glass had become cheap enough for ordinary people to use it for window panes. Great. And I didn't What did know- they do before that? See, I, w- I wondered the same thing. So I did research. And apparently, early on, it was animal horn that they used <gasps> in windows to provide enough in- like insulation. So they must have very tiny windows. Yeah, yeah. No, they were not big at all because, of, because it was more about like retaining heat yeah. and cool than being able to see outside or whatever. So the animal horn was used for insulation and also so that you could get some light in. So they sliced the animal horn so that it was transparent. Not animal skin. They did horn. No, no. Horn. Wow. Yeah. So it never was transparent, but it was translucent enough to get light in so you could see it. Wow. Isn't that interesting? I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that cool? (laughs) So, um, Glass and window panes not only protected them from the elements, but also flooded their houses with light, initiating a great leap forward in hygiene. Because, well, because dirt and like mice and you bugs, could see it you now. could see them. And living spaces uh, became cleaner and, dis- and more disease free. So partly as a result, plague was eliminated for most of Europe by the early 18th century because of this, because of glass. Isn't that incredible? Nobody credits glass. Nobody this credits is, glass. We are the first people to credit up. glass. <laughs> <laughs> We're the first people. The plague, it is gone now. Yes. Because we have windows. Exactly. Put it together. That was everybody. my very bad Italian accent. I'm really no, it's sorry, okay. Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, my mind is really bad too. So, <laughs> so um, in the mid 19th century, easily sterilized swan necked glass flasks allowed the French chemist. Louis Pasteur to disprove the theory that germs spontaneously generated from putrefying matter. So this led to the revolution in the understanding of disease. Soon afterwards, glass light bulbs changed work and leisure utterly. At the turn of the 20th century, new lamination techniques made glass tougher and safer than ever before. So medical uh, mechanical technology for mass production began in the latter stages of the industrial revolution with Michael Owens's invention of the automatic bottle blowing machine in 1903 that can produce 2,500 bottles per hour. Um, and then in the late 1950s, Sir Alastair Pilkington introduced a float glass production method by which 90% of flat glass is still manufactured today. So f- uh, flat float glass is when they flow molten glass over molten metal, which is usually tin, but it could oh. be others. Um, and it creates a uniform thickness and a flat surface. So wow. that's like all, almost all glass that you see in your windows and doors and everything Whoa. today is made from the float glass process. Um, and also, um, so here's a couple of just like random things about glass. Um, Charles VI of France, his dates are 1368 to 1422. He had recurrent hallucinations that he was made of glass. And so he carried pieces of iron in his clothing to protect him. Oh, um, because boy. he thought that's what would protect him. He was known variously <laughs> as Charles the Mad and Charles the Well-Beloved. Yeah, I mean, there was still a lot of inbreeding happening yeah, back I mean, then. And there was a lot of mental illness, especially in the French, down um, the French line. You get a yeah. lot of, you got a lot of old crazy guys yeah, in there. Yeah, a lot of old crazy guys. Um, so uh, the first glass factory in the United States was in Jamestown, Virginia. Yeah, it was. And it started in 1608. Um, tempered glass, as you know from your cars and like bulletproof mm-hmm. not really bulletproof glass but tempered glass is stronger than regular glass uh the way you make tempered glasses um you heat up the glass and then you quickly cool it and that um creates tension by the outer layer cooling faster than the inner layer and so that makes it stronger that tension makes it stronger but it also makes it easier to break like you've seen those techniques where it's just like a a little like um just like, like that hammer. Yeah, the like tiny pink. hammer where if mm-hmm. you just hit it in the right place, it mm-hmm. just sh- everything shatters. It's because of that tension. If you hit it in the right area, yeah. that tension so will like break. So like if you're if you're in a car that is getting sunk. Yeah, it's being if you're, sunk. your car is going down in a lake, you should have one of those little hammers on yes, hand. So that you can knock it out and then you can swim to the surface. So there you go. Theoretically. Um, 
<laughs> uh, the most expensive piece of glass in the world <laughs> is known as the Portland vase. Tell me about it. It is. It was made in Rome between 85 and 8025, which is just at the edge of the Christian era. It is a violet blue vase with a white cameo depicting scenes of ancient Roman wow. stories that have been lost to time. And I, I Googled it thinking it was going to be like this dusty old piece of Roman glass. It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's flawless. It's in the British Museum right now. It's, wow. um, it's, it seems to be almost consistently on display That's in room awesome. 70 if you're curious. Um, I'll just drop in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just drop in and say hello. Um, so some things that I learned from Steve because I was doing some notes earlier today. And mm-hmm. I said, Steve, what do you know about glass? And so uh, he said, well... Let me tell you. Okay. Um, one thing is Richard Feynman, famous physicist. Mm-hmm. Um, he wa- he claims that he was the only person to actually see the first atomic bomb test with his own eyes because he refused to look through the safety glasses that okay. were provided, which is like sunglasses. Yeah. And he just looked through a truck window. He was just like, I'm just going to get in this car and look through the truck window so I can look at the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. Because glass, like a reflex infrared and uv light which is why you can't get a sunburn in your car mm-hmm. so he knew that the only dangerous part to his eyes was the uv light that would come off of the atomic bomb blast so he just got in a car because he knew the glass would protect him regardless wow so he claims that he was the only one to see the atomic bomb like actually go off so you there's have a that. lot of skepticism in your voice yeah no i <laughs> i believe him but still like i don't know that seems like you're really you're really playing with with some some stuff (laughs) anyway so um so yeah glass absorbs certain levels of infrared light and also uv light um you can't get a sunburn in your car so uh fiber optics yeah so this is a cool thing so fiber optics they're like tiny glass cables so um that's when you take glass and you stretch it out to very fine 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 cables and uh fiber optics um are great for transferring information mm-hmm. because the glass in fiber optics is used with many layers of different kinds of glass that were like um, what's called doped with different kinds Ooh. of uh, different chemicals and elements and things like that. So the reason why it conducts light so well is because, um, and Steve described this to me, so I can't, I have to like give him a shout out for this because I did not come up with this. So say you're at like, you're in a pool. Sploosh. You're in a pool. Um, <laughs> That's the sound? Sploosh. Yeah, like you drop yourself into a pool. So you're at the bottom of a pool. It's not the right sound. <laughs> Sorry. So you're at the bottom of the pool, and if you look directly up, you can see the world outside, mm-hmm. right? But if you look kind of obliquely, like forward, all you see is the reflection of the bottom of the pool on the surface of the, the pool. Okay. Um, so... That's basically what happens in fiber optics. So when you transfer light through the fiber optic cable, light bounces back and forth on the inside of the Mm -hmm. cable. And so it does not reflect any of the light out because of that that oblique angle that the light is being bounced Mm -hmm. off of. So it does not reflect out. And also glass is a very good insulator. And so it doesn't absorb any of the light either. So you can transfer light for like extremely far distances, which is why you can transfer information over waves, just like microwaves or radio waves. And that's why fiber optics are the most efficient use of like transferring information. Isn't that cool? So cool. And they're known as light cables. So I think that's all I have to (gasps) say about, about glass. Do you have any questions about glass? I think that's it. Glass absorbs infrared. <laughs> Feynman. Tempered glass. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. I would like to learn more about what they add to glass to make it be different colors. Like Ooh. in stained glass. Yeah. That is a good idea. I know that like one thing makes it green. Mm-hmm. And one thing makes it red. And I just want to learn more. So maybe we can find an article okay. about that. Yeah. Let's definitely it. do that. I do know that um, like glass, natural glass, natural colorless glass, I should mm-hmm. say is actually when it gets to a certain thickness, it starts looking green, which is why mm. a lot of those like um, uh, like wine bottles and things are like oh, uh, right. older glass bottles. They look green at the bottom when mm-hmm. they're very, where they're very thick. And that's because of the iron content. Oh, yeah. 
And now to make glass truly colorless, a lot of companies add like a bunch of different elements into it to kind of negate that green mm. and to kind of give it a bluish tint, okay. which makes it, which reads to the eye as, as completely clear, yeah. as colorless. Cool. So that's, that's what I know. But that's yeah, great. we'll definitely have to look up a... Yeah, it's yeah. just fun to hear like the that like this was the rarest thing so this is why you don't see a lot of this color yeah glass exactly kind of stuff is fun um so yeah i highly awesome. recommend that's going. a lot of very cool facts about something that Thanks. we kind of all take for granted yeah. in our glasses lives. everywhere glasses did you everywhere. hear when she said like all the medicine yeah happened because we have glass yeah yeah basically isn't that cool <laughs> like we wouldn't get to see anything if it wasn't for glass wow literally wow um but yeah i highly recommend going to the corny museum of glass if you're in corny new york or even close to it there's a lot of good restaurants down market street and also uh the corny museum of glass is just a cool place so i highly recommend anyway so my quiz for today is a quiz on it's called glass jaw a quiz on fragile things. Okay. Uh, question number one. We all know that diamonds are the hardest mineral. What is the softest? Question number two. Speaking of hardness, what is the name of the admittedly very basic scale that determines mineral hardness, which is determined by rubbing one material against another to see which one gets scratched? Number three. While not necessarily fragile, silk is one of the only natural fibers that comes from an animal, the silkworm. What do silkworms eat? Question number four. Fans of Dr. Pimple Popper know, what is the term meaning easily crumbled or torn apart? Number five. What precious stone is thought to be formed by rainwater? Question number six. Three true or false questions about butterflies. Number one, butterflies emerge fully formed from their chrysalises. Number two, butterflies can't fly if they're cold. Number three, butterflies get all of their nutrients from nectar. Question number seven, we all know hummingbirds are the smallest bird, but what species of hummingbird is the smallest of them? Question number eight. What everyday product was first introduced in the 1920s as a method to remove makeup? Question number nine. Here's a 50-50. Do orchids grow from bulbs or seeds? And question number 10. Come on, you remember your basic psych. What are the three components of the human mind, according to Freud? And we'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be back in just a minute. Quiz on fragile things. Great. Okay. Let's do it. Number one, diamonds are the hardest mineral. What's the softest? Talc. Very good. Also known as soapstone. Good job. I have a rocks and minerals collection. Oh, Lauren. yeah, that's true. You had a rocks and minerals. What am I thinking? Okay. Speaking of hardness, what is the name of the basic scale that determines mineral hardness, which is determined by rubbing one material against another to see which one gets scratched? The Moore scale. M-O-H-R. Yes. Uh, the Mohs scale. M-O-H-S. Oh, okay. Moe's, yeah. Moe's. Moe's is also... Um, not uh, Jay Moore's no, scale. <laughs> not Jay Moore's scale. Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, side note, Moe's is also uh, a technique to remove skin cancer. Great. It's a different thing. It's a wholly different thing. I oh. think it's like capital M-O-H-S. It stands for something, I'm sure. Okay. While not necessarily fragile, silk is one of the only natural fibers that comes from an animal. The silkworm, what do silkworms eat? 
Do they eat bamboo? No, they eat mulberry leaves. Oh, crap. I knew that. Yeah, I know. See, that's like something from like way back Ugh. that you came out. Silk is actually one of the strongest fibers, for strongest natural fibers, mm-hmm. I should say. Linen is also very strong fiber. And the reason being is because the, um, the, the strands of each of those are very long. Yes. So they don't tear very easily. Um, silk is also a really great natural absorbent. Mm. It can absorb up to like three times its weight or something like that, um, which makes it good for, uh, it doesn't breathe very well, but it makes it good for like keeping, regulating your heat in your body when you wear silk. Something interesting to hear about. So question number four, fans of Dr. Pimple Popper know what is the term meaning easily crumbled or torn apart? I don't know. It's called friable. This is a term across mm. many, mm-hmm. like, this is just a general term. Mm-hmm. But she'll talk about, like, removing a cyst, and she'll say the cyst wall is very friable. Sorry. <laughs> talk some more about glory holes. I know. <laughs> between fri- between cysts and glory holes, this is just not your topic. Josh and I will watch some Dr. Pimple Popper, I know. He's a popper. He's into it. Okay, question number five. What precious stone is thought to be formed by rainwater? I don't know. Those are opals. Oh, wow. Yeah. So many people believe that it's formed when water from rain seeps down into crevices into rock. And once the water evaporates, the silica that is left behind dries out and hardens into precious opal. And opals are also found on Mars. What? Which is super cool. How do they know that? Because they found them. Um, also, Peridot para, uh, is the also, August birthstone. It is the August birthstone. Opal is also the October birthstone, mm-hmm. as you know. Um, Peridot is also found in outer space, which cool. is super cool. Um, so three true or false about butterflies. Ready? Number one, butterflies emerge fully formed from their chrysalises. True. Uh, false. <gasps> they do not. Uh, plural of chrysalis is actually chrysalides, apparently, but um, they actually have to assemble their proboscises from two parts. So their noses, they're like little <gasps> parts that like eat. Uh-huh. They have to like quickly like squ- like screw them together. Like go, <laughs> and so apparently when you watch a butterfly come out of its chrysalis, oh. you'll see that they like, they like mess around with their face and then they'll, they have like that curly nose yeah. and they'll like stretch it out to like <gasps> test it out to make sure that it's okay. Whoa. Isn't that weird? So they have to like assemble it so that they can eat. Whoa. I know. Okay, number two, butterflies can't fly if they're cold. Say yes. True, yes. True. If it's a chilly day, butterflies will warm up in the sun. They're mm-hmm. cold-blooded. Um, and they stretch their wings. So you'll see them like on mm-hmm. like warm parts of like on a pavement or yes. whatever. The Strong Museum has a butterfly garden. And yes. it is nice and warm and humid. It is so when charming It's a too. very cold winter day in Rochester. Mm-hmm. Like it's it is place. already now. The <laughs> butterfly garden is a lovely place to go. It is. It's a it's a lovely garden. Um, okay, and number three, butterflies get all of their nutrients from nectar. False. That is false. Uh, they do what's called mud puddling. So they drink from mud puddles so that they can get minerals. It's mm, kind of cute. They, so they drink nectar and mud puddle and mud. Wow. And mud so that they can get some minerals up in there. That's cool. Isn't that cool? Question number seven, we all know hummingbirds are the smallest bird, but what species of hummingbird is the smallest is like, of them? Is it like a person's name? Is no. It like a Thompson's hummingbird or something? <laughs> no. Yeah, no. I don't know. It's called a bee hummingbird. Like, a, like bee, buzz bee. Okay. Um, they are two and one quarter inches long. They're <gasps> very tiny. That's so small. I know. They're so little. But they're not very brightly colored. They're ma- mainly like blue, gray, and white, it seems. Oh. Um, question number eight, what everyday product was first introduced in the 1920s as a method to remove makeup? Is that a Q-tip? No, it's Kleenex. Oh. So that was uh, Kleenex first used um, uh, like a B-level female actresses to be in their ads. To be like, I use Kleenex to remove my makeup at the end of a sense. long day. It literally has the word clean in it. Yeah, Kleenex. Yeah, and then people started writing them to be like, I use it as a disposable handkerchief <laughs> and they were like what so then they started like kind of expanding their advertising wow. okay number nine here's a 50 50 do orchids grow from bulbs or seeds i'm gonna say seed they do uh orchids grow from seeds they produce millions of tiny seeds but only a few will make it to maturity well they're also um they're they're known as being a delicate plant a mm-hmm. delicate flower to grow but apparently if you know what you're doing they're pretty hardy 
I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> Steve's got a bunch and I just do not touch them. No. Yeah. No. Okay. And finally, question number 10. Come on. You remember your psych. What are the three components of the human mind according to Freud? Id. Yes. Ego. Yes. I don't know the last one. Super ego. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. See that? Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. So the id is the unconscious primal part of your brain. Mm-hmm. Your ego is the logical part of your brain. Mm-hmm. And the super ego is the internalized values and morals. So essentially you could say the ego is like the, the bridge between the id and the super ego. Oh, okay. Um, this is a lovely theory, but has been, <laughs> it has been criticized as being overly simple sure like most freud things yes. like the oedipus and electro complex and also the fact that he just thought everything is a penis mm-hmm. everything is a penis and everybody wants a penis everybody wishes they had a penis yeah. if they've got one they wish it was bigger it's just a whole thing and i think you know what that's disingenuous i don't know how they walk around with those things i don't know how they walk around with those things dingle dangling ridiculous i'm sorry i'm sorry we can edit that out glass (laughs) a quiz on glass um so that was my topic on glass and also fragile things like penises so wonderful so wonderful well thank you so much for listening everybody um you can get us on itunes google play stitcher Anywhere where podcasts are sold and found, uh, please. Rate, but ours re- is free. Ours is free. Please understand, ours is totally free. We do not sell this with for money or love. Um, please rate, <laughs> review, and subscribe to our podcast. We would appreciate that. Uh, we have a website, triple dub dot misinfopod.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at misinfopod. You can email us at misinfopod at gmail.com. and we have a Facebook page, misinformation, a trivia podcast. Please like us and maybe share with some folks yeah share with some folks yeah also if you know Dwayne the Rock Johnson let him know please that we're around because we would love to have him on just what a what an incredible light and warmth of positivity he is like Mm. the sun and I bet he's very warm and I bet he smells like cinnamon (gasps) Mm. I bet he smells like a cupcake but not like a sweet cupcake like a like a fresh out the oven cupcake you know what I mean I have no, I have no words for that. Sorry. I mean, I mean, other than you're probably right. I, yes. So I'm probably right. Anyway, this is the misinformation <laughs> trivia podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that I don't want to be a character on the podcast. Oh, I see. Okay. Ask me to talk. That was one time. (laughs) That was the first episode. It all got cut out. Yeah. Okay. So you can refer to Josh as your boyfriend. But you can't. You can refer to my name, Steven. You can say Josh if you want. He just doesn't want to like. I would rather you call me Josh than call me. <laughs> that's true tall boy okay it's just when you try to like put the mic on me or what again the first episode right all right well right. now we know that's where it gets established <laughs> yes you're saying like oh josh doesn't want to be involved in the podcast at all that's not it i'm just not here okay Aww. so so now we've established as the long war. as josh doesn't get on the microphone we can refer okay. to josh as a person theme. okay great Okay. Here we go. I have to try to shoehorn it in or anything. I feel like I've I've tried to shoehorn it out. <laughs> yeah, she's been trying to the keep you out of it. The person with whom I live. Yes. <laughs> and I. We. This, this loose we that we know. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for establishing. <laughs> this is all recorded. It's yeah, all on the record It's now. all on the record. This is for <laughs> our extra, like the non-edited versions for our yeah. Patreon subscribers. <laughs> Okay, heart of glass. Heart of glass. <laughs>